Turn in your Bibles to Luke. If you don't have one, there should be one there under the chair in front of you or ask someone and they can give you one. Luke chapter 2. And I want to begin reading in verse 8 this morning. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at the shepherds, at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This morning I want to speak to you about the most critical, the most crucial question that you must answer this Christmas. You know, questions are interesting things. It's funny sometimes when kids ask questions because they, they ask questions in an innocent way, and yet some of their questions are rather profound. Uh, I'm reminded of a little four-year-old boy sitting outdoor in the summertime, and a bee was bothering him, flying around his head. And the mother said to him, Nathan, the bee is more afraid of you than you are of him. Just relax. Look at how much bigger you are than that bee. Besides, if that bee stings you, Nathan, his stinger will fall out and he'll die. And the little boy sat there for a moment and he thought about this. And then he asked his mother this question. Does the bee know that? (laughs) See, sometimes... We ask good questions. That was a good question. Uh, There are important questions in life, and I wrote some down there in the outline for you, that you need to ask and you need to answer correctly. One of those is, is there God? Is there a God? That's a very important question. Maybe the question, how can I know this God who exists? Another question people ask is, is there life after death? Do heaven and hell actually exist? If so, when I leave this earth, when I die, where will I go? Heaven or hell? 
How can I know for certain that I'm about that I'm right about all these answers to my questions? But at the root of all those questions, I would challenge you today that there's a question far more important that everyone must answer sooner or later, either now or at the judgment. But I want to tell you, and I want to warn you, that if you wait till the judgment to answer this question correctly, you've waited too long. It's too late. But if you answer this correctly, answer this question correctly here, you will find yourself one day in heaven with the Lord. If you don't, you will find yourself in an eternity in a place called hell without God. And so you need to, we need to focus on that question. And the question that I want you to answer this morning, the ultimate question is, who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? I mean, we celebrate Christmas. Everybody's saying Merry Christmas this year. What a blessing. The correct answer to that question will answer all of the questions that preceded that question. Is there a God? The Bible tells us that Jesus came down from heaven to earth. The incarnation, he became a man in order to reveal the Father to us. That's what Jesus Christ says. Well, how can we know this God? The only way you can know God, Jesus himself said, is through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way. You ask the question, is there life after death? Jesus tells us authoritatively how to go to heaven and how to avoid a place called hell. Well, how can we know for certain everything that we have answered is correct? Are the accounts about Jesus that we find in Scripture, are the accounts about him true or are they false? Is there adequate evidence to believe these accounts? Especially... Is there historical evidence that Jesus arose bodily from the dead? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul does not hesitate to hang the entire Christian faith on one thing, on one thing only, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we're all going to have times in our faith when we struggle with doubts. And they stem from other difficult questions. Sometimes we ask the question, how can a loving God permit such terrible suffering? How can a loving God permit such injustice in this world that we see all around us? You might ask the question, how can God be three persons and yet there's only one God? That doesn't ring true in our own human logic? How can certain biblical accounts that seem to contradict each other be in harmony? I mean, there's a lot of questions in our faith that can trip us up. But if you come back to the correct answer to the question, who is Jesus Christ? If you answer that correctly, then you're standing on bedrock. You're standing on a firm foundation. That will help you through all those doubts, all those other questions that may come to the surface. 
Sometimes you may have times when you are strongly tempted to sin. How can you resist that sin for the believer? When it seems like that, sin brings us temporary happiness or pleasure. If you forget who Jesus actually is, you may succumb to that sin. But if you remember who he is, you'll be able to withstand the temptation. He'll give you the power to do that. Maybe you're going through difficult trials in your life. Maybe things just aren't going smoothly right now. It will seem as if God has forgotten you. You won't understand why these things are happening because in your grief you're going to be confused. You're not going to see things clearly. But if you come back to that one crucial question, who is Jesus Christ? It will give you a perspective to sustain you through all those trials and more. So the correct answer to the question determines how you think, first of all, and then also how you live. It determines where you will spend all of your eternity. When you look through the Gospels, you see each of the narratives of the Gospel. John, for example, in chapter 20, verse 31, he plainly states why he wrote his Gospel. John says, very clearly, he says, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The identity of Jesus Christ is the focus, you might say, of the entire Bible. When you go through the Old Testament, it all leads up to Christ. When you look at the New Testament, it reveals who Christ is. But I want to focus on that one question, who is Jesus Christ? When Luke wrote this gospel, the matter of of Jesus' identity is spread throughout the book, throughout his gospel. He begins all the way back in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. He tells why he wrote this book to the original reader, Theophilus. And he says, you know what, I've looked at these things. He was a medical doctor. He just didn't take anything anybody said for granted. He, he investigated. He had factual information. He researched these things. And he claims to write this account so that Theophilus will know the exact truth. See, don't believe the lie out there, beloved, that says there is no such thing as truth, that everything's relative. That's not, that's not truth. There is a truth, and that truth comes from God. And so he writes this historical account. This is not a fictional book. He gives account of the forerunner to Christ, the, John, the birth of John the Baptist, how he was prophesied as the, the forerunner to Christ. And then he follows the, the visit of the angel to Mary. He reveals to Mary both the miraculous means by her conception and her identity of the offspring. Can you imagine? You're a virgin, you're a young woman, and and an angel appears and says, you're going to have a child. How is this going to happen? In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, Luke says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Records this message to Mary. And for, and for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. I mean, even Satan himself knows who Christ is. 
He's the one who challenged him in Luke 4.3. If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And again, he taunted him. In verse 9, he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. See, he was trying to use the truth to camouflage his temptation. In Luke chapter 4, verse 34 and 41, it tells us where the demons even recognized who Christ was. They proclaimed that he was the Holy One of God, the Son of God. They were not and could not be subject to him. They still knew the truth about who he was. When Peter experienced that miraculous catch of fish in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 5, he recognized that it was Jesus, the Holy Lord, who made this possible. In verse 8 of chapter 5, Luke, he says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And the story continues throughout the entire book of Luke about who Christ is. Even Mary herself, in chapter 1, verse 47 of Luke, Mary said that she rejoiced in God my, what? Savior. See, the teaching that Mary was some sinless woman who didn't need a Savior is not biblical. That's why we don't worship Mary. We worship the Son of God. We worship God. I came out of a church that worshiped Mary. Mary herself records here that she rejoiced in God my Savior. She calls God her Savior. So she must have needed a Savior. What's interesting about that word Savior, it's only used two other times in the Gospels. You would think it would be used more. But it's only used twice. It's used in Luke chapter 1. It's used in, in Luke chapter 2 there where we read it, and it also occurs in John chapter 4, verse 42. Other than that, Savior in the Gospels only occurs here at Jesus' birth. Also the words here, Christ the Lord, that phrase is found nowhere else in the New Testament. It literally reads Christ Lord, not Christ the Lord, just Christ Lord. And so with all that in mind, quickly, I want to go through these couple points here about who Jesus was. First of all, Jesus was fully human. I mean, Luke, who probably interviewed Mary because he just didn't, you know, he was kind of an investigative kind of a person. He gives more detail to the miracle of the virgin birth than any of the other New Testament authors. He explained that the Holy Spirit performed this miracle in Mary's body. And that somehow, in this unique way, God was able to take on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. It tells us that Jesus was born in the city of David, which is Bethlehem. And he goes on and he tells about how Jesus grew up as a boy gradually coming into maturity. You know, we, we have a lot of misinformation about the Christmas story. I'm going to show a brief video at the end of my message. And it's kind of a cartoon video, so it would be good for the kids that are here. But I pray that you adults would listen to it 
attentively because there's a lot of traditions that we have around the Christmas story that are just not biblical, and it points those things out. But Luke even traces the physical genealogy of Jesus Christ all the way back to Adam, showing that Jesus was descended from David in Luke 3, 23 to 38. See, all of those historical facts and details mean that the Christmas story is not just some fairy tale. It's not some legend, but rather it's a true account of the life of a real man who lived here on earth. And it's based on eyewitness testimony of credible people. This isn't something somebody just made up one day. And we need to emphasize this even today in our own day, in our own society. So many times we intertwine secular things with the Christmas story. And that's okay, I mean, to a certain extent. But as Christians, we cannot Forget that the birth of Jesus Christ as reported in the Bible is a true story. It's something that's true. It's true history. The story about Joseph and Mary and the Christ child and the angels, the wise men, the shepherds, and the manger. It's a heartwarming tale that children love to hear. It helps everyone focus on peace on earth for a few days at least every year. But what difference does it make, whether it's really true or not? Well, I'm here to tell you it makes all the difference in the world. (laughs) If it's just a heartwarming legend, whether you can choose to believe or not or disbelieve, whatever, and it's just based about how you feel about the Christmas story, some people, Christmas time is a very difficult time. They don't want anything to do with Christmas. But if the story actually happened, if it's historical, as Luke reports, then the birth of Jesus Christ is here to confront every person with the objective facts that can't just be shrugged off as personal opinion. See, the fact that these things actually happen means that God exists and that he truly did break into human history and that the birth of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is in the fulfillment of many prophecies, is the good news of the gospel. The fact that God sent Jesus as a Savior implies that people without a Savior are alienated from God. And the Bible clearly teaches that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, these facts don't mean that you just believe in Jesus because it it makes you feel warm, it makes you feel fuzzy, it makes you feel happy inside. It means that you believe the Christian message because it's true. And the Christian message is the Christmas message. And you would declare it to be true as one of his followers, even if it brings persecution, even if it brings death. You will cling to that truth because you know that it's authentic, that it's life-changing, because it's changed your life. The fact that Jesus came down and took on a human body and yet was fully God, fully human. We can't comprehend that. Well, secondly, our text says that not only was Jesus human, but he was the Savior. The angel tells the shepherds that this is good news of great joy. Look at what it says, for all people. That implies that all people need to hear this. 
There's not a segment of our society that doesn't need to understand that Jesus is the Savior. And that's what the shepherds rejoiced in, the fact that the Savior has been born. The name Jesus revealed to Joseph by the angel in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, means Yahweh saves, God saves. See, Jesus didn't come down here to earth just as some nice man offering a new philosophy of life. That's not why he came. He didn't come as some great moral teacher saying, well, I'm just going to teach them some good principles and maybe they live a little better life if they listen to him. He didn't come down offering insights on how to have a happy life. He came, the Bible says, as the Savior, which implies by the very title that someone needs to be saved. There's a story in the news several years ago. A toddler fell down a narrow well, and her mother went looking for this young baby. And as soon as she realized she was missing, was horrified to hear that the daughter's voice was coming from this dark, deep hole in the ground. And firefighters and other rescuers soon swarmed around the scene, and news media arrived. And for hours, the attention of the nation was riveted on that desperate attempt to rescue that little girl before it was too late. See, that little girl didn't need anyone to give her some ideas on how to to, to live a happy life. (laughs) She was doomed if someone didn't save her from death. And the most important news that the desperate mother could hear in that situation was that the the rescuers who showed up had saved her daughter. See, when someone is lost and within the hours of death, until they are saved, the only news that matters is that a Savior has come who can rescue that doomed person. The good news that a Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord, is it's the best news in the world because it deals with the most important issue of all, namely where you will spend all of eternity. The Bible clearly teaches if you die and you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will spend eternity under the judgment of a holy God. But in his mercy, God sent his son, Jesus, to save us from our sin. Well, thirdly here, Jesus is also the Christ, not just a Savior. He's the Christ. It's the word Messiah in Hebrew. Christ is a Greek word for anointed one. It refers to Jesus as the anointed king and priest, the anointed king and priest who brings salvation to his people. See, in the Old Testament, there were two offices. And the only two offices that, 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 that were able to be anointed were the king and the high priest. You couldn't be both. But Jesus brought both of these offices together in himself, in one person. He is both, both our king and high priest. And when you stop and think about it, all the Old Testament prophecies foretold about the birth of Christ, it's all fulfilled in his birth and in his life. He alone is able to reconcile sinful people to God through his sinless life, his sacrificial death, and his bodily resurrection. And the Bible says that he's coming a second time not to offer salvation. If you wait for a second coming, you've waited too long, my friend, because 
He's coming to judge the world and reign in righteousness. So today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you need to cry out to the Lord as your Savior. And then fourthly here, Jesus is Lord. That title basically tells us that Jesus is God. A lot of people, when you pin him down and you ask, well, who was Jesus? Well, he was a good guy. He was a teacher and he lived a good life and blah, 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 blah. But they don't believe that Jesus was God. And what a mystery that is when you stop and think about it. The man Jesus born in Bethlehem is God in human flesh. I mean, he literally walked on this earth as a human being and yet being fully God at the same time. Because a mere man could not have died for the sins of the world. Because he wouldn't have been perfect. He would have been tainted by sin. If he had been an angel or some superhuman being, he could not have born human sins. But as the sinless God-man, Jesus alone could bear our sins. There's many people, many different religions. You have the Jehovah Witnesses. You have the Mormons. They say, they will tell you, oh, Jesus is Savior. But they deny that he's God. We must interpret Lord in light of its use in the Old Testament. And in that light, even in the context here in Luke, Lord clearly is Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's used over 6,000 times in the Septuagint to translate Yahweh. It refers to Jesus' sovereignty and his deity. Luke uses the same word in verse 43 of chapter 1 where Elizabeth refers to Mary who's carrying Jesus. She refers to him as the mother of my Lord. Same word. She also adds that Mary was blessed because she believed the words spoken to her by the Lord. In the next verse, verse 46, Mary breaks into praise exclaiming, My soul exalts in the Lord. And it continues through the gospel of Luke using that word Lord. See, the Savior had to be a man to bear the sins of humans. He had to be. But he also had to be God so that his sacrifice had merit before God's holy throne. And that's the qualifications that only Jesus, the unique Savior, the God-man, possesses. So the correct answer to the crucial question that you must answer is simply, Jesus is fully human. He is the Savior. He is the Christ. He is the Lord God. But I'm here to tell you, you can answer all those questions correctly, and you can still go to hell. Matter of fact, the devil and his demons know the correct answer to those questions, but they're not saved. So the fifth point here, we'll close with this. You must respond to Jesus as your Savior and Lord with personal faith and submission. You notice in chapter 2 there, verse 10, the angel announces this good news of the Savior's birth. And he says this, it's for all the people. See, I don't know who you all are this morning gathered here. I don't know, even not sure of all your backgrounds. I know most of you, but I don't know all of you. But in verse 11, Luke gets personal, and he says, There has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
See, and that's why I'm saying that you must respond personally by trusting Jesus as the only one who can save you from the judgment of God and to submit to him as your Lord, as your master. I mean, use the example of the shepherds here on how you should respond. Look at what they did. You know, they didn't just step back and go, wow, that was really a cool experience. Seeing all those angels and everything, that was pretty awesome. And sit there the rest of the night with their sheep. They didn't do that. They didn't sit around discussing some theological question after the angel spoke to them. They didn't say to the angel, hey, thanks for the news. But we've always believed that. And stay right where they were at. What did they do? These shepherds responded to the news by believing what God had revealed to them through this angel. Their faith was demonstrated. How was it demonstrated? Well, the story says that they left straight away to Bethlehem to see for themselves and then return glorifying and praising God. It was a life-changing experience for them. What did they see when they, when they came to the place where Christ was? It says in verse 16 of chapter 2, they saw Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in a manger. There was no halo around Jesus' head. There was no angels hovering over there. Clearly, Jesus, this little baby, didn't look like a savior. There was no palace. He didn't look like a king. He had no crown on his head. Matter of fact, the place looked and smelled like a barn. Because that's what it was. It was a stable. It was a manger. It was a place where they kept animals. Most likely a cave. They could have showed up and scoffed over that and stumbled over it, as many people do, and said, this is what we came here for? Let's just leave. They didn't do that. How about you this morning? Will you scoff or stumble over the simple but profound message that this baby, Jesus, born in Bethlehem, whose birth was announced by the angels in these simple, to these simple shepherds, is Christ the Lord, a Savior born for you? See, Jesus didn't leave heaven and come to this earth and go through all the suffering that he did on the cross just to give you a couple tips on how to live a happy life. That's not the purpose of his coming. He knew that you were in desperate need of a Savior. He knew that he alone can save you from the penalty of God's wrath because of your sins. But how are you going to respond to that news? So the crucial question you must answer and respond to correct, correctly this morning is, who is Jesus Christ? See, one day, I'm here to tell you one day everybody will answer that question correctly. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and those who are on earth and even under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day that's going to be everybody's answer to that question. But Matthew tells us, sadly, in chapter 25, verse 41, some will bow on that great day in terror as they hear the Lord say, Depart from me, accused ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. They responded correctly to the question, but you know what? It was too late at that point. 
So I ask you this morning, who is Jesus Christ? You can respond correctly even now. You can acknowledge and welcome Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. A Savior from God's coming judgment and wrath. You can bow before him now as your Lord. Oh, come let us adore him. Then on that day, you will hear him say, as recorded in Matthew 25, verse 34, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations, from the foundation of the world. Father, we thank you for this time of year when we can celebrate the birth of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we can gather here in this place in the warmth and the safety even of this building on this property. Lord, we don't take any of this for granted. Father, we thank you that you have provided for us a Savior who was appointed and who willingly came and lived a perfect life here on this earth and gave up that life on that cross to pay for the sins of all those who would ever put their faith and trust in him as their Lord and Savior. We pray this morning, if there's any here who's yet to make that decision, to acknowledge who Christ is, Lord, I pray that you would do that work. It wouldn't just be my words that people hear, but, Father, that they would be your words. And that you would do that miraculous work of drawing them to yourself. Help us strip away all the religiosity in our lives. Maybe we've come to church for years. Maybe we've been religious, quote, Christian. Been raised in a Christian home. But when we look at our own lives, maybe we never see that point in time where we came to a point and acknowledged Christ for who he was, the Lord and Savior of our lives. Maybe you never experienced that change that he promises, that transformation. Old things become new. He gives you new desires to study his word and to fellowship with his believers. It becomes a reality. It's not just something you do on a Sunday. I pray that God would do that work in your hearts even now. And Father, we ask that you would just dismiss us with your blessing today. Lord, I pray that we would have a wonderful time of fellowship with our families over this Christmas holiday. And once again tonight as we gather for our Christmas Eve service, that you would prepare our hearts for that and prepare our hearts for communion this evening. Lord, we remember those who are serving abroad in our military and are even now in harm's way, separated from their families. Lord, we pray for them that you would... um, Continue to give them strength and give them wisdom as they carry out the task of protecting the freedoms that we enjoy here. And Lord, I pray for their families as they're separated, that you would uh, just minister your grace to them. That you would be there in their time of need. And Lord, we think of those in our own congregation. We think of Happy and Vicki and even Lois and others, Lord, who just up in years, and Lord, we pray that you would minister your grace to them. 
And Father, we pray that you would, most of all, glorify yourself through us this time of year. That we would leave this place knowing that we represent the risen Lord. That Jesus is no longer that little baby in the manger. But he's the King of kings and Lord of lords who reigns on high. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.